Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello, Koshi here. Before we get into this episode of The Call, I've got a favor to ask. The bigger the Ausbiz audience, the more we can invest in great content and keep providing quality investment ideas to you for free. If you could just take a minute of your time to leave a review of the call in the Apple Podcast app, it'll help keep our tribe growing. And of course, don't forget to catch up with all the best interviews each day at ausbiz.com.au. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the call. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the uh, latest edition of The Call. For the next 60 minutes, we analyse 10 stocks that you suggest to us. We put it to an expert panel. What a panel we have today. One of my favourites, Andrew Page from Strawman and Michael Wayne from Medallion. Good morning, gents, or good afternoon. We've just ticked over the afternoon. Um, Commonwealth Bank, 100 bucks. Yeah, finally. Woo! Yeah. Made it. Wow. A lot, of, a lot of happy people out there. Yeah. Commonwealth Why? Bank. Why? <laughs> it's so widely held. Why did it get to 100 yeah. today as opposed to five years ago whenever it was threatening? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. But um, I think, look, Big obviously, mark, though, it's, a, yeah, it's definitely a milestone. Um, the banks have been recovering very, yep. very well. The housing market's going gangbusters. Everyone's desperate for a mortgage. Um, it's difficult to say exactly why, because they're still under pressure in terms of revenue, you know, return on equities yep. under pressure. But uh, the banks are definitely in favour at the moment. Yeah, and Combank, um, Andrew, everyone says, oh, you pay a premium for it. It is the best of the big four. And I suppose... This is just a reflection of it. Yeah, that's that's probably fair to say. I mean, on another sort of angle, it's it's it, there's a something we like about round numbers, but it, what's the significance other than that? <laughs> like you could say, well, the market cap's 176 point blah 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 billion. Well, that's not a round number, you no. know. So it's, and I'd also make the point too that this is a business that's um, it's a great business. Commonwealth Bank's yep. going to be around forever, right? Yeah. And they're going to be making more and more money and paying more and more dividends. But you 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 paying for that and you're paying for that growth and for something that is as mature and large as that is probably long term compound three four percent on on average is what you're yep. going to get. Yep. So with dividends, that, that's not bad but you're paying a 22 times multiple for that. So I think if you want safety and you're happy to compromise on a lower long-term average return and you like dividends, fine, but not for me. It's probably yeah. the most <laughs> expensive <laughs> bank in the world. If yeah. you look at those multiples, yeah. Um, yeah. there's not many, if any, certainly of that size globally. Yeah. Right, yeah. well, they've certainly got a halo about them, haven't they? Mm. All right, let's uh, kick off with the stock of the day, one that um, uh, I choose that's in the news, Fonterra reiterating full-year guidance, but warn there will be significant pressure on earnings in the last quarter of the year. This is, as it reports, an 18% pop in underlying earnings for the first nine months of the fiscal year, boosted by strong demand for its dairy products in China. Yes, in China, and higher milk prices. When anything to do with China is on the skids at the moment, um, they're saying they're doing all right. Uh, what do you think of the announcement and also Fonterra, Michael? Um, look, I think... 
the announcement is very good for them in that everyone was a bit worried that margins were going to be under significant pressure, which they still are, but yeah. everyone was fearing that it was going to be a further deterioration uh, in, in things like volumes and some of the prices globally. Um, it's an interesting company in that it's a very, very dominant player in New Zealand. I think yes. it could be their biggest company. Um, yeah. employs a lot of people. I think it's 90% owned as a co-op by by farmers in New Zealand, but Australian investors can get access to it via this listing. Um, and it does give them exposure to the dairy industry, which is very, very cyclical. So it's not a, it not an area. It looks fairly illiquid too. That's, that's the problem uh, <laughs> with this particular instrument. Um, but it's a very cyclical industry. It, it's very challenging. It depends a lot on currency and international milk prices, which is how they set their, their milk price. Um, but it's a company that is in a very dominant position. And I think they make up about 30, 40% of global supply of milk. So it is a premium producer. 30 to 40% yeah. of global supply. Global supply. It's, um, it's pretty, Holy pretty crazy. So, That's amazing. Yeah, so deregulated years ago in New Zealand was once upon a time um, owned by the government. But yeah. since then, they've basically Jeez. given it out to the farmers and and now for investors in Australia. Yeah, yeah. and if you look at that five-year chart, it was way up when you know China was taking everything yeah. and infant formula, dairy products. Look at that, almost six bucks. Now down to three fifty. Um, is it a recovery play, Andrew Pope? They certainly have been trying to turn it around. Um, I mean, it, it's it's a big business, but it's it's a hard business, you know. Yeah. So it's easy to sort of get excited about wow, eighteen percent lift in profits. That's that's great, but it's also I think it pays to sort of step back and look at how this has performed longer term. The, the terms of volume that they're selling hasn't changed much in the last four years or so. No. Um, their top line growth has been virtually flat. It's some very very modest growth, okay. but then. The margins jump are all yeah. over the place too, because well, they're a commodity provider mm. and they don't they don't get to charge whatever they want for that kind of stuff. So, very very tough business. They're going in, uh, in the process of a big capital restructure at the moment. Um, uh, China is China is one of these things where it is great when China likes you yeah. and has, <laughs> and demands. I mean, we what we what do we know here in Australia with how that's gone with you know Treasury mm. wines and and others. And so when. And they have about, a th I think it's close to a third of their revenue comes from China. So maybe their government isn't as antagonistic as, as ours. Because oh, it's New Zealand. Because it's, New, it's, <laughs> it's New a New Zealand, Zealand company. <laughs> so maybe maybe that's okay. But I just, it's just not an, it's not an attractive business for me. When you sort of look yeah. out long term, it's like, well, where's, where's the growth going to come from? By the way, you can invest in a very low growth or even negative growth company and still do well if you pay a, a, enough of a discount for yep. that. I just don't think it's there in the yep. price. So no, it's a pass. Okay. Me. All right. Let's get on to the uh, 10 stocks that you suggested. And the first one comes from Robin. And um, Andrew, Robin wants to be on JB Hi-Fi. She says, after a profit warning for Kogan with the downgrade in sales, I was thinking that could happen to JB Hi-Fi as well. I've never walked past a JB Hi-Fi store without it being busy. Also, I do like the dividend JB Hi-Fi give. What do the experts think? When we talk about world sales, apparently, I was reading, they have the largest revenue per square metre of yeah. floor space of any retailer in the world. Yep. So just crazy stuff with JB Hi-Fi. It made 
was uh, market darling during COVID. Can that continue? Well, so it is an exceptional retailer. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. These, these guys really run it well. I remember a few years ago being a little bit worried because remember we're, You'd, you'd walk in there and there's a lot of DVDs and yep. games. I mean, who, who buys that anymore? And I think, like, how are they going to... Are you showing tri- your age? Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> Laserdisc. Um, but but it, it just, it never, it, they, they have, they've adapted extraordinarily well. I mean, their earnings and sales growth has just been spectacular. Um, I think Kogan, what happened with Kogan was more a consequence of they, they overstocked on inventory. They invested a lot of extra money in warehousing and logistics. So that's what sort of dampened them. And that's, as, as I understand it, not a factor with JB Hi-Fi and the good guys, which of course they, they also own. Um, they've had incredible success transitioning to online. You know, it was only 4% a few years ago. Now 10% of their sales are online. They have 20% sales growth a year to date. That's just phenomenal. And yet it's trading at a PE of 12 and so the market's either gone crazy here or I think more, more likely it's a realization that in COVID, we just brought a whole bunch of stuff forward. Yep. And when you actually look at what, what the, the ratio might be on a more normalized basis and what it's likely to be in the years ahead, it's not as, as cheap as what, it, as what it seems. So look, I, I actually think um, I, I really, I, as a rule, I tend to avoid retail because it is such a tough business. But they've got some genuine scale advantages here and operating efficiency um, uh, advantages as well. So they, they, can, they can pretty much guarantee that if you want to buy a laptop or a phone or a camera or something like that, you're probably going to get one of the best deals that, that's out there. Mm. You're going to get excellent service. And, yeah. and that's why the stores are always yeah. busy. Yeah. Great so, management. And the boss is transitioning out to go and run premier investments. Is that? That's true too. Yeah. 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 So, so it's a little bit of uncertainty there with the new, new leadership there. Um, so I, I would sort of say that I actually, I think it's reasonable now, as long as you're cognizant of the fact that next year is not going to be as, as good as this year, as long as you're cognizant of the fact that by nature as a retailer, it is going to be sort of very volatile and the rest right. of it. For a long-term hold, I'd actually sort of say, yes, I think this is a, not an unreasonable buy at mm. this point in time. Okay. Um, to be 100% clear, I don't own it and I don't have intention of doing it. And that's more of a, you know, an opportunity cost uh, calculus. I just think there's better stuff that's out there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I wouldn't look too much at, at Kogan and worry. And in fact, just in general, I wouldn't be playing this thing quarter to quarter, half to half, year to year. It's just right. that you, you'll, you'll send yourself mad doing that with retailers. Yeah. But if you think that in five years time, this is going to be a bigger, more profitable company and the price isn't too unreasonable uh, with expectations of probably up a single digit kind of earnings growth, yeah. then I think it's, it's probably pretty reasonable, but, but it'll be a bumpy ride. Okay, so a long-term buy. Yes, yep. Um, this is one that we've held for clients in the past, um, probably got in late teens, early 20s, uh, exited too early in retrospect <laughs> around the $30 mark because there was fears about Amazon coming in, taking yep. their lunch. They acquired the good guys. And in the early days, I don't think that acquisition was being bedded down as well as management would have hoped. But they've proven that all to be wrong. Um, they've obviously got a big boost from, from COVID, but they're doing well even in the lead up to that. Um, the same store sales growth, I think, during COVID was up like 18, 20% or something. Massive. That's since, that's since moderated, as you would expect, but it's still running at about 8%. So 300 stores, they've just got the model down pat where they know what size they're looking for. Um, they don't really run warehousing as much. They keep most of their stock on the floor, right. which helps them boost up their margins. Obviously, not paying for all those expenses associated with storage. Uh, I think they've incentivized their staff very well as well through a certain commission model. Yeah which makes them very eager to sell you things and then mm. add on and bolt on additions to your purchase. 
Um, but my fear is at this at this point is that pull forward demand. We're just not really sure how it's going to cycle through. But I do think that there is a long-term tailwind to that consumer electronics space. And I think the thing is, JB Hyper don't really have to do much of the hard work in terms of innovating, developing new products. They've just got to sell the new Apple yeah. phone or whatever it may be um, once it arrives. And, and that helps continually reinvent themselves or rejuvenate their product list. Um, so at 12 times earnings, it is somewhat tempting. So I do think the market's probably overestimating that pull forward demand effect, but it's hard to know until we do see the results in August. So for that reason, it's a hold for me right. uh, with a view to having a, a good close look at it at the reporting season in August. Okay. All right. Wise words indeed. There you go. Now, Charles wants a view on event hospitality. Um, it is in cinemas in Australia and New Zealand. In Sydney, they own, own the State Theatre. They own Threadbow Resort in the ski fields, operations in Germany as well. Like, yeah, what do you think? pretty old world in. business, yep. but it's I think it's a majority owned or at least a big chunk of it by a, a certain family. And it's quite well run in that regard. Um, conservatively run business, diversified asset based, obviously cinemas. I think they might even have Ridges Hotels yep, still, Ridges, yeah. uh, obviously Threadbow as well. And they're all areas that are COVID losers, which hopefully uh, will improve. But the cinema business you would think would be in structural decline. But I think that initial phase where people moved away from cinemas is probably plateauing. And we're seeing very strong demand globally for, for cinemas. Um, but for me, it's probably not the quality of business that we're looking for in terms of balance sheet. It tends to have quite lumpy earnings. Um, it's, it was carrying a lot of debt until recently. They did sell down some non-core property assets to repay some of that debt. Um, but it's a business that, although it's got some decent quality assets, I think will struggle to deliver yeah. extraordinary growth, particularly during this challenging period for them, although yeah. they are on the rebound. I've got a mate in the cinema business and uh, it is a real tussle of the mate. You've got yeah. Disney releasing uh, in cinemas one day and then on their streaming service the oh, next really? day. Yeah. But um, in a Disney Plus premium, so, so they're charging mm. 40 bucks per film yeah, to see if they can cut the lunch of the cinema. So it's a real tussle. The cinemas really holding out for um, Mission Impossible, um, uh, Fast and Furious really? 9, can't get enough of that in June, um, <laughs> and Top Gun and movies like that to come straight well, They've to really improved their offering these days. It's this kind of experience. You go to yeah, the cinema, you get right. a big seat, you get decent you food drink. compared to what yeah, you used yeah, to yeah. get. Have a drink, but Amazon's of this world, Amazon Prime, or you know the Netflixes, or name name your name your streaming service. Amazing, Andrew. What do you think? I really dug into this one a few years ago, and I think it's surprising. Very a long established business, very very conservatively run, very long term thinking here. It's never going to grow at a rapid rate. I, I was surprised to sort of reach the conclusion that I don't think cinemas are in structural decline. I mean, the one thing that you know. You can't take a, if you're asking someone out on a date and it's like, you know, come and watch it on my telly at home. It, there is there is the experience. Of, or even you say to your teenagers, like, why go out? We've got Disney Plus. And I'm like, no, we're going out, right? Yeah, yeah, so there, there is there is the destination. Um, so I think, I, I you know, I think that is absolutely having an effect, but I'm sure in 10 years time, people will still be going out to the cinema for the experience of going. And I, I can watch Hamilton. On Disney Plus, or I can go and see the show. Yeah. It's, it's there's still something to be said for that. Um, the other thing you've got to understand with these guys in terms of the balance sheet is it's very deceptive. They've got a lot of property on there, 
and, right. and the way that that is accounted for, it's probably, you could make an argument that it's very conservatively accounted for as well. So they said in their most recent presentation, about 2 billion with a B of, of property assets that they, that they own. Now they've wow. got no intention of selling that, but that equates to about $12.40 a share. And he right. got something yeah. at $12.96 a share. So it's never gonna go bust, right? right. Like it, you're never gonna lose so your they've dough. they've got some hidden, sort of very conservative assets there. Lot, you know, lots of great assets that, that are there. And even if they, you know, they sell it and it becomes a block of units and, and not a, a cinema, there's, there's a bit of optionality that's there as well. Um, so having said all of that, I mean, you couldn't think of a business that was going to get more hit by COVID. Hotels yeah. and cinemas and skiing, all of these things. So it's, they, I think um, since COVID hit, they've lost $800 million in revenue. Yeah. And, and that is just such a massive knock. They themselves are sort of saying, look, we think that cinemas will probably not get back to normal for another year or so. Hotels, we don't know what's happening with the international borders. That might be even longer still. Yeah. So this is going to be this is going to be a, a long, cold winter for them. I think without a doubt they'll emerge at the other side and they'll probably manage long term sort of that single mid single digit kind of rates of growth. Yeah. But you know, given given the weight, given that uncertainty with COVID, despite everything I just said, I just I, I would much prefer it below about eleven bucks. Right. Um, maybe maybe I'm too demanding on that, but it's just I don't see a compelling proposition at this stage, given the weight that you've yeah. got ahead. And it's in an industry where well Victoria could go into another lockdown the next day. Easily. So. Yeah. Um, yep. Got to wear your master cinemas, and people are going. Oh, I just got used to not doing it. All that yep. sort of stuff. Yep. It's it's they're hard industries to make a buck at the moment because you just don't know what's going to happen the next day. You, you touched on something interesting before too, which was the film lineup. So they've yeah. often, they've often talked about this. I mean, you know, Hollywood produces whatever Hollywood produces. Yeah. But they, when like uh, the Avengers came out, they had an incredible year because everyone went yeah, and saw it. So the lineup that you have actually really determines volumes in the cinema. So they just, you know, you, you're going to have years where there's not that much ex exciting stuff. And then there's just going to be the blockbuster that everyone goes to. Yeah. So there's that inherent and a few lumpiness of those banked up. Yeah, yeah. Uh, during COVID. And there's not actually been a lot in the pipeline because no one can make any movies over yeah. in LA and stuff as, as well. So it, it, it's it's a tough business, but they're, as I say, conservative, well-managed, long-term thinkers, quality okay. asset. But it's 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 far from a terrible company. I just like it a bit okay. cheaper. All right. So no. Uh, next stock to uh, have a look at, uh, Clinaville Pharmaceuticals, a biopharmaceutical company that a uh, whole range of sort of... Um, Sort of remedies, isn't mm -hmm. it? In them, in mainly in cardiovascular and skin disorders too. Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna stuff up the pronunciation here. Senes, Senes, yeah. is yep. it? I'm not sure how to pronounce it, but they've got this. It's a really rare genetic disease uh, slash metabolic disease where people can get these really adverse skin reactions to just yep. normal sunlight and stuff. Um, so they spent 15 years in R and D developing this, and it hit. And they've got sales and sales have been going really strongly. They've got their first annual profit in 2017. This is what happens when these... So normally people familiar with my rants will know that I wouldn't go near these kinds of yep. companies because it's just so hit and miss. Until but, you, you always say in the lead up, until they... Until they hit it, because when you hit, hit it, it is massive. Yeah. And you know what? Shares past that. Shares are up fifteen fold in yeah. ten years. Wow. It's, it's a phenomenal return. You know, a fifteen bagger in ten years is phenomenal. Because because they've 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 had that hit. 
Uh, 58% drop, uh, jump in profit in the first half, they're debt free. Um, and they look as though they've got some a long way to run with this, this drug that they've got. But they are a pharmaceutical company. They are spending a lot of the money they make on trying to develop the next generation of drugs. And so you right. sort of back into that. It's not a business where you can just neatly, evenly extrapolate out to the future. Um, and you've got a, a business, I think, is around a PE of 80 or so. So oh, wow. are they growing strongly? Are they, are they in good shape revenue-wise? Yes, they all are. But, but again, there's a lot of expectation for perhaps what, what else they can develop and how far they can run with, with this. So it's, it's a fascinating business. I don't, I, don't, I don't tend to go there for all the reasons that I mentioned. Here, I would, I would probably make an exception at a more attractive price. Right. But, but the, as we saw on the chart, everyone's excited about it, yep. which is probably yep. not the best time to get involved in, in a company like this. So it's okay. a plus for me. All right. This company deserves a lot of kudos for, for what they've achieved. Mm. It's one of those businesses that has taken a long time to get to this point. If you've been a shareholder, you've been able to sit throughout that process, you've done incredibly well. Um, I think there's about five to 10,000 people globally who suffer from this rare condition. Yeah. So it's a big market, but not enormous. Yeah. Um, they are now targeting the US and, and Europe with their commercialization process, and they've been getting some very good traction. Um, they're still a one product company at the moment, which is fine, and that's doing really, really well, but they're gonna try and diversify that revenue stream to become a, not a mini CSL, but you get what I mean, where you've got a few different offerings yeah. for, for different people. And that again, will, will burn through cash and, and, and take up time. So for mine, um, it's potentially a buy because they are on that rollout phase and all the key numbers look to be progressing in the right direction. Um, but it is expensive and it is volatile. So I do think if you are looking to buy it, you'll probably get opportunities at lower prices. Right. I'm not really sure, because I haven't followed it for, for a while, what caused it to fall back from these levels previously. I'm not sure if they just slowly missed sales targets and, and things like that, but it's definitely emerged as a real business with, with real revenues um, and it's doing a lot of good things. But at, at lower prices, I'll definitely have a look at it. Okay, so hold if you're in a it. hold if but, you're in it. But, uh, and then watch it. Yeah, if it gets future. back to sort of that $19, $20 mark, could be right. worth looking into. But you've got to follow the news flow pretty closely with these sorts mm -hmm. of companies. Um, because before you know it, they could have burnt through a whole truckload of cash. Because at the moment, they've got this product which is doing really, really well. But they've got a lot of other products that they're looking to develop and proceed through clinical trials. So a lot of that revenue is not really flowing through to earnings. It's getting chewed up uh, in research and development, which can sort of hinder the company's performance. Yeah, yeah. But also, they sort of they got to do. They have yeah, to do it. They have to. That, that's the issue. They that's the nature of yeah. the business. Yeah. You, you've got to keep researching. It's into, a hard one. And then keep investors happy. Yeah. By making sure they're getting a decent return, but. To diversify that product. Like, it's not like ResMed out. where the sleep apnea sufferers globally is in the millions, right? Yeah, where they've got yeah, an enormous yeah. market. These are pretty niche yeah, areas. Cool. So they'll want to try and I think build out their offerings so yep. that they can service more people across okay. different ailments. All right, Nick wants a view on Calix. Um, they recently uh, raised about $14 million. They're going to use it for battery development program, also water program, CO2 migration. Um, They've got a big ESG investment program yeah. that they've got underway. Yeah, I must admit it's not one I was familiar with, so apologies for not having too much content on it. But it's a company that is, is agri-tech. Um, so they're yep. doing a, a lot of good things, apparently, in, in the agricultural space. Their margins are exploding. They're getting more and more sign-ups. They recently raised 
a lot of money. Um, I think the, the retail component only raised about three mil, but there were 20 mil worth of bids, so heavily oversubscribed, which indicates there's a lot of interest in this business yeah. um, and potentially a lot of latent demand. Year, That's yeah. right, and there's still probably latent demand because everyone who didn't get their full allocation might look to pick up the price and keep chipping away. But it's it's gone parabolic, as you can see see there. But that's uh, that's a sign of the fact that they're getting recognition from a lot of key players globally uh, when it comes to their their technologies. So, look for for mine, it's one I'd have to do a lot more work in before buying. But they're obviously onto a, a fairly good thing. Otherwise, the share price wouldn't react in that way. Yeah. yeah. What do you think, Andrew? Is this uh, rate on the straw man? It doesn't actually. No, it's not. It's not up up near the top. It, it's um, so it's a, it's a fascinating business. It seems really broad in its in its uh, technology. It's this kiln technology that produces these sort of what they call nano active particles. So very very small particles that they have certain properties that are really advantageous. So a whole range of things from aquaculture to pesticides. Mm. You can actually produce cement with much lower CO2 uh, intensity, which is huge, by the way, because that's one of the biggest sources of CO2. Uh. And um, they've gotten traction. It looks as though it seems to be working. And that, that's, that's why you've seen this. What I worry about with a lot of these companies, particularly for, for newer investors, is that it's very easy to get carried away on the narrative. Super sexy tech, massive addressable market if they get it, and the share prices are going parabolic. Now that is that is just very hard to resist, you yeah, know. Yeah. But 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 unfortunately, investing isn't that easy. Mm -hmm. you've, you've got to sort of dig below here. So one thing to remember here: these guys have spent a hundred million dollars in developing this technology, right? And they're still in the pro. I mean, it's it's producing, but there's there's still a long way to go. They're ramping up production. There's going to be a capex investment requirement there. So it, there there is. You know, a purist would say that the value of a company is is the sum of all its future cash flows yeah. and in and out, you know, yeah. and we're, we've been in a stage now where money's still going out the door, even though sales seem to be sort of taking off because of a very, very, very low base. But when you fold all of that forward, you get to a point where it's just sort of like, geez, I mean, this is on, it's hard when you look at their revenue line because they get a lot of government grants and that. But if you just yeah. look at what they have sold, I think that it's on a, on a price to sales forward basis of about 20 times there. So again, you've got it's. <clears throat> by the time your Uber driver is telling you about it, everyone's heard about it. Yeah, it's not yeah. like you're in on the ground floor, and that's fine. And that, that yeah. you can you can still do very well if you pay up for it. But just bear in mind that almost certainly it's going to have some big pullback. Is a lot of people lose patience with it, right. and then as that happens, people start to freak out and sell, and sort of has this this momentum sort of effect there. So I think it's a very interesting company. I think it has huge potential but it is very still early stage and it's right. very, very high risk. So it's not for me, but if you if you did want to um, uh, uh, make an investment in it, make sure you size yourself re uh, reasonably right. and understand that this isn't something that, you know, it <coughs> maybe drip feed into it. Drip feed into it as, as, as the news flows shores up and just understand it is going to be a bumpy ride and that even if they are super successful, this is a story that's going to play out over five and 10 years. And too often you sort of see people buy for the good long-term rationale, but then uh, freak out because it drops 20% yeah. in, in, you know, because they, they didn't quite hit an analyst forecast or something like that. So it's, 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 gonna, be, it's gonna be a fun ride, whatever, hap whatever happens. <laughs> Keep it in perspective. Sure. All right, uh, Gerhard, um, Andrew wants to be on BrainChip. Uh, they develop a neuromorphic processor called Akita. So it's a, a really smart uh, computer chip. 
that are small and power efficient. They've yeah. had sales apparently to NASA, um, and um, they're going to start. They've just started volume manufacturing in Akita for artificial intelligence devices. Yeah. So this one it's does rank well on, on Strawman. It's yeah. up about number eight. It's done really well for for our index, which just tracks the, the most popular stocks. It's up 67% on a weighted basis since it was wow. added last year. So it's done incredibly well. Um, the thing is, is that it, this is, what, what they are doing um, is fascinating, cutting edge, state-of-the-art kind of stuff. And there's absolutely definitely a use for it. That we're, we're at a stage now where it's much less speculative than it once was. Right. But, but there is still a, a fair bit of uncertainty in all of that. You also have to remember as well that this company, according to the market, is valued at close to a billion dollars, 800 or something. Wow. It moves around quite a lot, but you know, as you, as you can see there, but it's, it's, it's a very, very expensive company. So again, you've got, you've, got a lot of, you've got a lot of expectation built into it. I mean, $3 million per quarter in cash out the door at this stage as they sort of get their production ramped up and try to you know, effectively commercialize all of this. I think sales from last year were like, it was less than half a million dollars or something. No. So that, you know, okay. the PE is insane. In fact, I mean, to be fair, it is a meaningless metric for this kind of company at this kind of stage. Yeah, yeah. So, so what, what half a million dollars in sales. Yeah, so uh, it might even be less than that. And it's valued at it. a billion. Yeah, so it's a question wow. of, well, it, it's kind of, it's deceptive because if they do get, uh, if this is really proved out, then yeah. their sales are going to skyrocket and the, right. you know, the, the P is going to fall very, 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 very quickly. Right. So it is a deceptive measure and probably not a useful measure in right. that. The way I would look at it if you're a potential investor or a holder is that this is something that I would sort of say, when we're looking back in 10 years time, is either down 90% or is is, is up 20x. <laughs> so that, that, that's, that's your proposition. And, and maybe maybe I'm exaggerating a little bit there. Maybe it's maybe it's not quite as, as big a fall. But there is, there is definitely something there is definitely sales. But again, this is a, a real, well, not so small Aussie company. I mean, they're not the only ones developing chips. Yeah. You yeah. Know, you've got some of the it's biggest... It's quite, quite surprising that you know, an Australian company could be competing against the biggest in the world. And it happens, you know, yeah, we've, yeah. We've, we've done some pretty, we yeah. invented Wi-Fi here in Australia, yeah, you know, yeah, and yeah. Bluetooth, I think as well. Yeah. So you know, we, 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 we certainly punch above our weight, but you know, this isn't something that these are the only people on the planet doing it. So I'm not trying to throw cold water on it for the sake of it, yeah. but just to add a little bit of perspective here. And, and again, I feel as though this is something where you see on chat rooms all the time where the, the, the narrative is really simple, super ex sexy, uh, uh, cutting edge stuff, big addressable market, share price going up. And, right. and for a lot of people, unfortunately, yeah. that's kind of where it starts and, and ends. And, and it's, it's, as I say, it's, it's harder than that. So just be, be aware that there's a lot of risk in this, particularly with the current valuation. Okay. Um, it's a company that took off last year. I think they announced a, a collaboration with a, a US-based company, Bagaro or something like that, yeah, right. Right. Um, which is one of the fastest growing businesses in the US. And effectively, it allow commercially operated or created semiconductors to be hardened to the point where it can be used in by companies that operate in harsh locations, such as that's where your space and your NASA come into it. So that's a, a collaboration or collaboration. Not, not much has come from that at the moment. Um, they've obviously got revenues, but they're very, very small revenues. But it's a business that people seem to be following and, and the hype often will get to them, but they've been able to back it up with some very, very good technology. Um, but the question is, can they maintain these valuations? And, and from my standpoint, it's a bit of an unknown and a bit of a hot stock and a hot area at the moment. Yeah. So to, 
to Andrew's point, who covered it very comprehensively, um, it's either going to sort of retrace 50% or it's going to, mm-hmm. you know, go up 10 times. Sort of but there's a, a long way to go. There's, there's numerous semiconductor microchip makers globally. So yeah. it's a very competitive space. And who's to say someone doesn't emerge from left field yeah. um, with an even better quality. Okay. Yeah. Well, so you guys are, uh, were telling me, uh, advising a couple of weeks ago, if you go into companies like this, um, whether you're little tech companies or biotechs or med tech companies, uh, put a little bit in a portfolio of them yeah. if you're interested in yeah. the space in four or five. Uh, don't don't back one potential winner because that that's where the risk is. Yep. But if you're in four or five, you've got a, a finger in a few and. Yeah. And one of the five may be the one that just outperforms everything and becomes 10 or 20 times the return. And I think that needs to be your expectation too, that it's probably that one in five, maybe right. even one in 10. Yeah. But if that is the one that you've got one that does do extraordinarily yeah. well, um, it will it will compensate you for all the others that, that don't yeah. do well. Yeah, yeah. But understand that the value in these aren't because, oh, I got this and like a year later I'm up 30%. There is nothing more painful than looking back and saying, I bought stock X yeah. at 30 cents and I sold it at 60 cents. What a genius I was. <laughs> 10 years later, it's at $43. You know, that's that's the return that you kind of need yeah. if you're going to play this. And that's yeah, yeah. how VC play this. So yeah, so yeah I, I, I would yeah. Re- reiterate that Be point. Careful. So instead of putting $5,000 in brain chip, put 1000 and in brain chip and a thousand in each of other four yep you know high risk businesses that 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 show potential return all right let's uh recap the uh the first five stocks plus stock of the day from Terra and no from both andrew and michael jb hi-fi um a long-term buy from um from andrew a hold from um from michael event hospitality um a no from both. Andrew would start to get interested around $11. Uh, um a hold from Michael and sort of going to wait, wait until August when its next annual results come out to see how it's going. So certainly watching and if it can get around $19, um, it's worth it a no from Andrew. Calix a no and Brainship a no. Um, here on the call, we have our own fantasy portfolio. We've been tracking since the 1st of July, thanks to our partner, NAB Trade. Any stock that gets unanimous approval on the expert panel goes into the portfolio. If it comes up again, even if it's in front of a different panel and doesn't get two nods, uh, goes out again. See how it's been performing. Weekly up 1.5%, down just under a percent for the month up almost 30% since the 1st of July. Some of the stocks recently added by our expert panel, Abacus Property Group, Universal Stores, uh, Nanosonics, NetWealth, Janice Henderson Group and Smart Group. Uh, some of the stocks coming out, Orthocell, E-Road, AUB, City Chic, and the Tomos. You can uh, take a look at all the stocks in the calls portfolio. Go to osbiz.co forward slash portfolio. A quick programming note, be sure to join us later as Jesse Hamilton from Wilson Asset Management joins us live, fresh from the launch of the IPR, the WAM Strategic Value Fund uh, for opportunities in discounted assets. A bit like a vulture fund, I suppose. So uh, Jesse is the, uh, the WAM CFO. He'll be on the show or on the platform just after 3 p.m. Um, let's uh, get into the second um, half of the call. And um, Andrew, 
want a view on the Future Generation Global Investment Company. It's a listed investment company focusing on investing overseas, um, but some of its fees go into supporting um, youth-oriented Australian charities. Yeah, so it's a, it's a really sort of feel-good kind of um, assets. About 1%, I believe, of its net tangible assets gets donated with particular focus on youth, as you say, and, and on, on, on youth mental health in particular. Um, so, so no doubt the founders have got a strong passion around that and they're, yep. they're definitely doing good. So it'd be nice if, if more fund managers did that kind of thing. Um, uh, it's kind of best viewed as a fund of funds kind of thing. So they're not, unlike a lot of listed investment companies or most listed investment companies, they're not, they're not buying, well, they do a little bit, I think, but mainly they're investing in other fund managers and other listed investment right. companies and they get a pretty favorable fee structure off okay. the back of that. So um, it's, these, these investments uh, are tricky because there's so much key people risk in it. I mean, what, what you can glean from, um, from the structure is, is difficult. What really matters is the quality of the investment decisions that are being made. And um, so perspective always helps here to, 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 to give us some context. So they started in about 2015. It's been about 11.5% per annum over that time. That's, not too shabby, slightly, I think by 0.1 or 0.2 of a percent outperform the MSCI Global Index that it uses as its yeah. benchmark. Okay. So even, even with giving some money to charity and, and them having some fees and the rest of it, you've, you've, you've outperformed, albeit extraordinarily slightly, yeah. um, uh, the, the benchmark. A bit so, of an index fund. Yeah, yeah, I think it's probably a sensible way to look at that. Look, you're, it's, you're incredibly diversified right yeah. here. I mean, you look at all the different funds and all the holdings that they themselves have kind of thing, it's, it's, uh, I don't think it's a terrible investment. Um, I just think if you're sort of going to be getting uh, market average kind of returns, an ETF is probably a lower cost right. okay. way to go about it. So yep. it's, it's, it's not for me, but I don't have much bad things to say about it. Okay. It's a, a great concept for charity. Yeah. Um, all the director's fees have been waivered yeah. and it's all done pro bono, all the, the fund fees and the administration, everything like that. So it's a bit like hearts and minds. That's that? right. Yeah. Um, but our preference is for hearts and minds, and I'll, I'll come to that in a minute, just because as Andrew touched upon with this, it's such a fund of funds. And if you think about all the stocks that every fund manager yeah. has in their portfolio, you end up with indirect exposure to 500,000 positions potentially. Mm. And there's a lot of funds that are supporting this. People like Caledonia, who you wouldn't normally get access to as a retail investor, Cooper Investments, Paradise Investments, uh, VGI. So there are definitely some good managers on it, but just by the nature of a fund of fund like that, you'll end up with so many exposures that you'll just essentially end up mirroring the market. Um, right. And that's what's, what's happened. Um, it's, this one trades at a bit of a discount to NTA, um, which is potentially an attractive aspect to it because you are able to buy, you know, um, a dollar's worth of shares for 90 cents in, in some sense. Um, but we prefer hearts and minds because hearts and minds, rather than giving each fund manager a certain allocation, it basically gets the top picks of certain fund managers and then gives a few fund managers a certain allocation percentage. So you end up with only a, a very concentrated portfolio of 15, 20 high quality picks from fund managers. Yeah, stocks. So it gives you individual, stocks, individual not stocks, funds, not their it? funds. Yeah. So, and that one's done a lot better. And because it's very public, yeah. uh, the managers um, are really cognizant, they've got to give you a good stock. <laughs> and, yeah. That's right. And, that's, and the funny thing is, it's this very similar overlap in terms of the fund managers who are providing the fund to fund service yeah. for FGG yeah. and providing the best stock picks right. for the Hearts and Minds. Hearts and Minds donates a little bit more to charity, um, 1.5%, although that's done annually, whereas 
the FGG is 1% of the average monthly, right, monthly. so that might adjust things slightly, but um, both terrific concepts okay. and a good way to have a yeah. charitable aspect to your investing and also do quite well, um, as is the case with both of them, in particular Hearts and Minds. Okay. All right. Um, um, next company that uh, viewers want to look at is Mainstream Group, Michael, a, a yep. funded, uh, basically an administrator of... Um, uh, used by fund managers, superannuation trustees, listed companies. Um, it's sort of a platform business. Isn't yeah, it? I mean, it's a company in its infancy. Its balance sheet's pretty, you know, un uninspiring. But uh, if you're a shareholder, I think you can thank your lucky stars because there's been two takeover proposals. The mm. first one's there where you can see that the leg up initially, and then a NASDAQ-based company's coming over the top and lobbed a pretty attractive takeover uh, figure there. So... I think, look, either way, this one's going to be taken over. As an investor, um, I'll probably stay fully invested, although if you are a little bit worried that the deals will fall through, for whatever reason, you might look to take off you know, half or 25% now uh, and leave the rest in there to see what happens. Who knows? There might be an even a third counter offer. So as a new investor, you wouldn't get in? No, not unless uh, you had a, a mandate to target different corporate finance yeah. um, type transactions. Okay. Um, but with this... It's a platform provider. Obviously, someone's really liked their platform and often it's a way for companies to bolt on new services or improve their own yeah. uh, technology. And I think that's probably what's happened here. But I wouldn't be a buyer at these levels. If I held it, I would certainly hold all of it, um, if not some, or sorry, some, if not all of it. Yep. Andrew? Yeah, I think it's a bit of a mute point, this one, because it, it, it Nothing certain until yeah. the ink is dry, but it looks extremely likely it's going to go through. I believe one of the parties has walked away. The board has fully endorsed the remaining one. That's yeah. at a $2.66 offer. Yeah. So so it, it now does become, as Michael rightly said, it becomes basically a punt on do you think you're going to get uh, a better offer come through. Yeah. Um, if it, you know, in fact, the market, I would say implicitly, seems to assume that because it's it's trading one cent above that offer price, mm. which doesn't make any sense if sense. you think about it because I, it's the bird in the hand versus two in the bush. I can, I can yeah. sell that today and get $2.67 or I can wait for the deal to close and then wait for all the paperwork to be done and then wait for my check to, and, and yeah. then get one cent less. Yeah. Um, so it, it seems as though, un, unless you had a high conviction that that was going to happen, I'd actually be very tempted to just take the money now. Yeah. Because there's, there's again, there's an opportunity cost. Usually, these takes a while before the money lands in your bank account, and and in in the meantime, it's not doing anything. Yeah. But I, I could have egg on my face in a month's time when someone lobs a three dollar bid on it. But <laughs> but whatever that bid is going to be, it's it's not it's not going to be massively in in percentage terms as well. Yeah. So yeah, I'd sell. Okay. All right. Helen uh, wants a view on a, a recently listed stock. I think this one is on Satire. I've got an online retailer that sells luxury brands, uh, clothing, shoes, bags, accessories, says has 1,300 luxury brands and over 160,000 products. So this is taking digital retail right to the extreme, isn't it? <laughs> I made a, a classic error and there's actually doing a bit of research yesterday at home. With, my wife was next to me. And so we, we had to look at the website. <laughs> oh my gosh. Like, so they, well, they did, 
obviously they've got great UX on the, they, on the website. They, well, they did. And she was like, oh, what are you like? Oh, that looks really interesting. So <laughs> they do things like Jimmy Choo and really high-end brands. So the average transaction is $700. Whoa. You can buy a pair of sneakers for $1,500 here. I found a scarf that was $900 <laughs> on this. So this is this is going for... Just done all right, hasn't it, since listing amazing. in November? It's wow. done really, really, really well. In fact, recently they upgraded their prospectus guidance as well because wow. they are going so incredibly well. China is a very big part of it. Again, 35% goes to, to the, there's a lot of aspirational, there's a lot of new money in China. As, a, you know, as an average, the, 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 um, the wealth isn't huge, but at the top end, it's insanely oh, yeah. massive. Yeah, yeah. So there's plenty, of, there's plenty of people with a lot of, who are looking for status. And that's what, <coughs> let's be honest, yeah. when you buy these, when, <coughs> pardon me, when you buy an $800 scarf, you're buying status, yeah. you know, and hoping that someone but will it, notice. But, it, but in China, <coughs> the percentage number of wealthy isn't large. Yeah. But the actual number of wealthy people <laughs> yeah. is massive. It's huge. <laughs> so it's it's huge. a massive market. So um, I think the hard thing here is, sorry, my throat's giving out, but the hard yeah, thing here... water. <laughs> One yeah. sec. <laughs> I can step up to the plate. Yeah, yeah. Like, but um, it's got what sixty-seven thousand <coughs> users, so it's a small number on yeah. a global perspective. But on the Australian perspective, it's 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 quite large, and it's an exciting, <coughs> interesting business. This is probably the way of the future when it comes yeah. to to retail. Um, being a new listing and a new IPO, it can be difficult to sort of gauge its progression because we don't really have access necessarily to to all the data and you don't really know how it, how it operates in a listed environment, but it's a business with very high margins. It's growing its customer base very quickly. It's got some exposure to China. Yeah. Um, I'll be interested to try and get an understanding for the backend technology and whether it's their own technology, whether they're using someone else's um, or one of those platforms that allows you to sell retail goods through it. Um, because that I think also will add a lot of value to the company if it had its own its own sort of platform, which gave it some insights um, and some data that others wouldn't. So, right. but I, I'm tempted to have a, a good look at this one, but I, I want to see it continue to, to do quite well. Yeah, it's interesting. I saw some reports on it saying it had done really well and done great deals yeah. with luxury brand providers stocking up for the launch at the end of last year because none of them were selling really, anything yeah. because of COVID. So they did fantastic deals. Oh, that could be a Now, everyone comes back to normal. Yes. And how do you still get those margins? Especially when the latest and greatest trends yeah. and latest fashions yeah, and yeah. doesn't become so, a sort of secondary outlet. That's interesting. Uh, yeah, apparently that was uh, one of the analysts had that as a bit of a question mark. That, Anyhow, really they've done really well. It's a really interesting point. So to elaborate a bit on what Michael was saying, from what I was able to glean, it is it is very much, they, they do tout the value of their platform and their technology. Yes. They don't have to hold much or hardly any inventory. It's almost, it's not quite, but almost like Dropboxing, if you've heard of that concept um, as well. So it, it seems as though they've got a great brand, they've got a fantastic website. I, I love retailers that go for a very particular niche and yep. do that very, very, very well. They've got no interest in the. There'll be plenty of people watching this, myself included. I am never going to buy through these guys because I'm yep. too much of a tightwad. Yep. Um, uh, but they know their market yep. and they cater specifically to that. And, and you know, someone smart told me long ago, if you're going to be on retail, you've got to be at the end of the spectrum. Yep. You're either the discount guy or you're the high premium guy because wow. you can only be attacked from one direction there. Wow. So I, I think it's, it's just a 
bit too, it, it seems as though, especially now that you've said that there's been a bit of a, a potentially a bit of a sugar hit yeah. there in recent times, I and it's only just listed as That's well. That's right. Just read that in the analyst report. Yeah, uh, it, it's a it's a thesis that, that seems to resonate. But so I, I'd want to see a little bit more water under the bridge. You know, you're yeah. not going to be able to grow at this rate for forever. But hey, credit where it's due. It's done incredibly well. It looks like a very interesting yeah. business. Just not for and me we're, yet. We're, we're probably not the market. Mrs. Page and Nadia would be right. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so watch out. Yeah, yeah. Don't you take that home, Michael. Um, <laughs> BWX, uh, Andrew, is our next stock. Uh, of course, this is the branded uh, skincare and hair products uh, manufacturer. Uh, big brand names like Sukin, uh, Andalau, uh, Nourish, um, Dermaskin. Again, not really in my wheelhouse of products, but... Yeah, me either. Right? This one this one really was popular a couple of years ago from memory. And yeah. the, the big product here is Sukin. That's yeah. 44% of their sales. It's in Coles. I think it's in Woolies. They've just inked a deal recently with Chemist Warehouse Group. They're selling that through their, uh, through the, the Chemist's end online, through their portal as well. So sales have been growing really strongly and they're expecting a bit of a 10% lift in sales for the current year. Um, they've made the move over into North America as well, which is a ridiculously large market. So yeah. if, if they if they can do well there, it it, it has a good potential. Um, having said that, the the operating profit of the business hasn't been as good because they've been making a lot of investment in, into this expansion. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. You have mm. to spend money to make money. Um, and if you just stay in your little pond, that's great, but you're never going to get beyond a certain size. So it's kind of, you can't fault them for doing it. Where I'm mindful of is the uh, fickle nature of consumers. Like again, Sukin by all in, uh, by all accounts is a, is a wonderful pro- product. It's got a lot of brand loyalty. It's doing extremely well. But is that still the case in three years time or in five years time? I don't know. I, yeah. I, it's not like I'm, not, I'm saying it's definitely not. I just don't know. And, yeah. and we know that the, the brands wax and wane over time. So they, they have acquired a lot of other businesses, Fauna and Flora, I believe, or Flora yeah. and Fauna is another one. So the vegan, ethically focused online sort of sales platform there. So they're very much going for that, that clean, green, organic kind of uh, uh, niche. And they, they look to be doing really well, but but it is a tough business. It is a hyper-competitive industry. We don't know whether these expansion yep. plans will pay out. And you, for a company that's saying, well, actually our EBIT and our profit's gonna be about sort of 10% higher in the current year, maybe sort of low double digits going forward, you are paying yep. a PE of 40 for that. So it's, okay. it's a no from me, All but right. I wish them well. Um, it's a, a business that Andrew says was doing really well a few years ago. And then they made a, a big decision to change their business model slightly. Because often what they would do is they would provide white labeling for other products. Yeah, so they would right. provide the ingredients. Yeah, so that was really good yeah. for revenue, but the margins on that sort of stuff was pretty small. So they made a decision to get rid of that. They're now pursuing other avenues to get their revenue back up, um, such as that acquisition of the vegan and, and healthy platform. But in the interim, that's put a lot of pressure on return and equity, a lot of pressure on margins, and the market's just waiting and, and hoping that eventually that these acquisitions and then these new directions that they're taking start to pay off. But thus far, the signs are somewhat encouraging, but they haven't yet delivered on that. So the market's left questioning and wondering whether or not they're ever going to be able to recapture those revenue numbers on high margins. So for mine, um, not a bad business. Um, a lot of fund managers do like this one out there, but I just get a little bit concerned from 
from that and also the changing fashions and fads and, and you've got to yep. keep coming up with new products it can be quite challenging okay all right our final stop from uh, Lyle we'll need to whip through this because of time uh, Carnegie Clean Energy Lyle says looks to have had a checkered past but now has new management and recently became debt free and the technology looks interesting it's into uh, um, uh, wave energy clean energy technology Look, it seems pretty out there, pretty interesting technology. Um, the question is whether it's viable relative to other forms of energy. And although this technology might be cutting edge and, and world leading, uh, I think it's got a long, long way to go before it becomes a preferred choice uh, and source of energy. There are just so many other good forms of clean energy that are emerging at cheap rates uh, and that are starting to be able to close the gap with coal. So for mine, I'll be focusing my attention on more established clean energy producers right. rather than yeah. something like this. The There's a long, long way to go. I 100% yeah. agree. Wave Energy's got huge promise, but in terms of the, the development of others like photovoltaic and wind and the rest, they've just the cost curves there are just coming down. It's very hard to compete. So maybe there's a, a niche a, a area for them, but there'll be some certain locations where Wave Energy is more preferable. Yeah. But there's virtually no revenue. The share count's gone up tenfold in 10 years as they fund all of this research and development and full proper commercialization rollout could be years away. Right. So another one okay. that's interesting but risky. Okay. All right, let's re recap the uh, the final five stocks. Um, uh, Future Generation Global, um, a no from both uh, Michael and Andrew. They prefer hearts and minds if you if you want to invest and, um, and also have a charity bent to it as well. Mainstream, a no, look, accept the takeover or sell out at these high levels. Uh, Satire, a no, BWX, no, and Carnegie, Clean energy and no as well. Andrew Page from Strawman, good to see you. Thanks, Koshi. This Michael Wayne from Medallion, always Koshy. great to catch up and uh, um, happy shopping on the entire <laughs> uh, luxury goods platform. All right, uh, if you'd like us to uh, take a look at any particular stocks, flick us an email for call at ausbiz.com.au or by Twitter at TV is the handle. Um, all the stocks in the calls portfolio, you can have a look at that, osbiz.co forward slash portfolio. And if you want a wrap up of the day in business, markets, finance, uh, subscribe to the Osbiz newsletter. You get Scuddy's View, the Close of Business podcast, links to the most popular um, interviews and stories on the platform during the day. Uh, you can subscribe at osbiz.co forward slash the COB. Now, Startup Daily Show. Uh, looks at all things startup, scale up, venture capital at 2 p.m. this afternoon. Carl Margrain, the founder of Payleader, uh, is joining the team amongst a whole bunch of other um, industry leaders as the fintech closes a million dollar funding round that's coming up on the Startup Daily Show. So stick around, Ausbiz returns after this. Mm -hmm.